Welcome to The Real Enneagram, A Spiritual Quest, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. Join us as we experience the vital teachings of Enneagram expert Dr. Joseph Howell, clinical psychologist and author of Becoming Conscious, The Enneagram's Forgotten Passageway. Relax as you are taken beyond personality typing to The Real Enneagram, The Spiritual Development of the Soul. Welcome back to today's podcast entitled The Real Enneagram, A Spiritual Quest. This morning, I want to welcome Dr. Joseph Howell. Hello, Erica. How are you? I'm good. good. I hope you're doing well. I am. Good. And I, I want to introduce myself. I'm Erica Jobes, and we are doing a podcast today on the fundamentals of the Enneagram. So our ultimate goal is to go a little bit deeper in the Enneagram, to move past typology, but we know that before we do that, we have to give some fundamentals about the Enneagram. So today, Dr. Howell, we are going to ask you to talk to us about basically the gut center, or also it's called the body center, Yes. the instinctive triad. Mm -hmm. And so why don't you just begin by giving us a little recap on the three centers of intelligence? Yes. Well, you know, the way that we perceive and interpret the world comes through three centers of intelligence that are depicted on the Enneagram. And those three centers are the body center, also called the gut center, the heart center, also the center of emotion, and then the mind center, also called the head center. All three of these are how we look at the world and we synthesize information from our head, our heart, and our gut to make decisions. However, our ego is um, embedded in just one of these as its primary lens, its primary nose, its primary fingers and hands that, uh, and ears that interpret this world. Um, and whatever one's ego type is, one through nine, uh, whichever center it's in, um, that's where that person is mostly grounded, mostly um, sees the world out of those types of lenses. Um, for example, the head center is uh, six, seven, and five. The emotional or heart center is the three, the two, and the four. And now today we're going to be discussing the body or gut center, which are numbers 9, 8, and 1. These um, numbers are depictions of three different ways people approach the world and understand the world. And they're all focused on visceral and survival and instinctual appetites. Um, instinctual, visceral feelings about what to do and how to move in this world. And for an example, um, if the body gives us a message that we're in danger, um, we may hyperventilate, uh, the hairs on the back of our head may stand up, our eyes may dilate to let in more light. Um, there are lots of ways our body tells us 
that we're in danger. There's lots of ways our body tells us that we are not in danger and that we can relax. We feel light-hearted. We feel light in our body. We feel relaxed. There is no muscle tension. Uh, the body walks and moves through the world knowing that it is safe. Therefore, it can be more playful. It can take a few more risks with itself because it knows that there's no true risk because it's safe. Um, these are the deep aspects of one knowing and moving in their inner body. Um, it's not the externals of the, of the body like maybe just feeling wet or dry or cold or hot. It's the feeling within the body that is that which is the center of intelligence. Right. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> the the body triad very very focused on an instinctual and I think in previous podcasts you talked about kind of just that gut feeling. Absolutely. It's one of the things that one might say mm -hmm. that would be mm -hmm. an example of mm -hmm. of that particular triad instead of, mm -hmm. you know, you might hear somebody from the heart center say, well, I really feel like this or that. Mm -hmm. um, and from the head center, I really think it's such and such. Have you thought that through? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, those kinds of things. And then from the gut center, you ask a person why uh, they've made that decision and they might answer, I mm -hmm. just had a gut feeling right, that this right. was the right way to go. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, is that the body does have its own intelligence. Yes. Um, they, we have, we have our nervous system, which is, uh, an intricate system of wiring. And it's, ex it, it's actually the nervous system, which causes the hairs to stand on end mm -hmm. because it's like a cat's hair when it stands up or a dog's hair that's a primitive instinct for survival that our bodies actually still reflect that that happened and has been happening for centuries in the human body yeah well uh, being an ego type 8 I definitely can relate to that and you just mentioned that when you you know somebody from that instinctual center feels safe they don't feel tense they feel relaxed uh, this morning we're sitting in the sunroom in, in your home in mm -hmm. Aniston and I'm not tense at all. I'm very mm -hmm. relaxed. And I think a lot of the time that I do move in the world, I can feel tense. If I stop and check in the muscles in my shoulder and back, mm -hmm. and I can feel tense because I'm always on alert. You know, what action do I need to take next? And so mm -hmm. the body does have an intelligence. So what, uh, tell us about the different uh, Enneagram types that fall within that center. Will it Where be are we going to Enneag begin? Enneagram type uh, number nine and um, number eight and number one. I'll, I'll begin with nine. <clears throat> uh, Enneagram nine says to the world, I'm peaceful. Um that is an egoic reaction to having lost the way they were um, as they came into the world. Um, and the way they were were very active, very um, uh, productive, um, 
and very movement-oriented um, uh, souls. Uh, but that was shut down because the way they portrayed it was uh, not okay. And so the ego that fits on top of that, <clears throat> excuse me, is the ego nine, which says, okay, constant movement, constant activity isn't going to get me anywhere. Let's see where peacefulness gets me, where relaxation gets me, where the, uh, the senses are basically calm and there's an absence of tension. Um, the nine achieves this uh, egoically um, by um, a process that psychologists call um, being satiated or sort of full with uh, what relaxes them. And relaxation uh, is um, couched in how relaxed the body feels. So hammocks are very uh, important tools for egoic nines, um, couches, um, any form where the body can recline and be at rest and not upset, not vigilant, not palpitating, but very, very peaceful. Um, the nine um, is as peaceful um, as a reaction to the world. And as a result, they help other people achieve peace. Um, if they're unhealthy, however, they achieve their peace not through just relaxation of the body, through its um, posture, but they can feed it, overfeed it, um, and self-narcotize. Uh, which would be through any kind of addictive process of imbibing anything to excess so that the body has to have a relaxed state of being. So if they can't achieve that just through posture, they might right. go to the next level and achieve it a different way. What exactly right. are they avoiding? They're avoiding conflict. Okay. They're avoiding any kind of definitive movement that will make them any kind of target. They're avoiding uh, having any kind of significant behavior that will put them in any kind of limelight to be criticized. Uh, they do not like to be the focus of attention uh, for anything that they're promoting or doing because they want to basically blend in to the scenery in a peaceful way and exude peacefulness and make sure that there is no conflict around them at all. If there is conflict around them, they'll make sure they're not involved in it. And if they have to self-narcotize and detach from what's going on, if it's conflictual, they will do so. Okay. Great. So, as far as the nine, they came into the world, they were active, they were busy. Yes. And productive. What message did they get that caused them to begin to put on the ego of the nine? You can't be so active. Look at the mess you've made. Settle down. You think you're building with all these Legos, and what you've done is the whole Lego tower toppled, and now we're going to have to spend 
the rest of the afternoon looking for the pieces under the beds and everything. Don't build like this anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the message is I can't be that kind of person. So I will find peace and uh, a way to live through being peaceful. And that'll make those people around me love me. Right. And accept me. And, um, you know, the, the, the beauty of, of that type of ego is that they do adopt a way to move in the world that doesn't bring them that criticism. So when we were talking about the head center, we talked about fear. Right. When we talked about the heart center, you brought up kind of the concept of shame. Yes. What are we looking at in the instinctive triad, in the body center? Is the sense that there is limitation by even being in a body. Oh. Uh, and that limitation causes anger. Um, an anger that uh, one has to be limited um, and that their sphere of influence is not as great as they want it to be because these are very this is a powerful triad it has to do with the body stance it has to do with physical presence it has to do with survival and territory and ownership and possession Um, it also has to do with um, love love in a very very um, visceral way um, the the passionate love that's not just romantic it's unconditional love for others in a very protective and caring way okay so how does that anger how does that show up in the nine what does that look like it, it looks like passive aggression because you can't really be actively angry but you can let it slip out, it leaks out by, for example, the uh, person may trip on a threshold going into a restaurant that they didn't want to go into, but they never spoke up and said, no, I don't want to go to the Mexican restaurant, so they trip and fall on their way into it, so that through self-demeaning and not mattering, they can still... um, um, maybe start the evening off in a not-so-good way for the people who, uh, quote-unquote, made them go to this restaurant. Right. Okay. Good. So that's kind of a good introduction to the nine. What number do you want to speak about next? Let's go to eight. Okay. The eight says to the world, I'm powerful and I'm strong. Um, That's their message. And... uh, they they came into the world as a little being that was basically innocent and very giving um, with a heart that was built uh, with relationships that were very important and pleasing and giving to other people. That got, that parade got stopped. Um, not because they were giving, not because they cared about other people, but it was the unbridled spirit of a one or two-year-old that gives maybe to excess, gives things that aren't theirs, <laughs> gives uh, maybe um, uh, in ways that horrify other people, like overfeeding the dog and the dog getting sick. Um, any good parent would 
shut that show down and tell that little spirit, hey, no, we are not doing this. So that kind of little soul child uh, adopted an ego of power to say to the world, you will not overpower me. You will not take away my sense of autonomy. You will not take away my sense of being somebody. So in a reaction to losing the way they came in, they set up an ego reaction to the world that was built on their presence, on their own sense of power, on their own autonomy, and their own way to sort of threaten people to get in line or something not so good is going to happen. So they may have felt that the feeling, being having feelings of vulnerability are just not acceptable. No, they, they put, they, they saw how being innocently vulnerable was not working for them. And so no more of that. No more of that. We're going to put our feelings over here. And we're going to put our body right here. Mm-hmm. Our survival, our instinctual inner power is going to be how we move in the world. And you can't hurt me because I'm not going to let myself feel that. There you go. Yeah, I'm oh. not going to have that those kinds of vulnerable feelings. Mm-hmm. So they become tough and uh, intimidating and... Uh, very caring about those who are underneath them, their family or the people they're responsible for. Very interested in justice for all those people. Of course, they define what justice means. It's their rules. Yeah. Right. It's their justice. Mm-hmm. And if you you be the serfs and vassals, uh, I'll be the king and I'll invite you into the castle when I wish. And, and I'll protect you. And I'll protect as you. As long as you follow my rules. As long as you follow my rules. Right. And pay homage to me. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are they avoiding? Actually, they avoid their own inner weakness, their own vulnerability, because remember, that was shut down as, as they began life. Mm-hmm. And they don't ever want to go there again. Right. So it's very difficult for them to feel weak in any way. For in yes, until the ego, the eight ego will break down eventually. And the way it does is when they pull that drawbridge up and don't let people in to see their vulnerability and they are locked in their own strength, their own walls their own protective mechanisms, and they are isolated. They feel cut off uh, from the milk of human kindness that uh, they really need. Um, And as a result, they don't look at themselves as um, people walled in. They look at themselves as people who are strong until they run out of provisions in the castle then they know that they need others in an intrinsically survivalistic way because people cannot survive alone. We are all interconnected. But the ego will make us think 
that we don't need others. And that ego has that delusion that strength and isolation will empower someone to exist as their own God. And that just isn't possible. So they let down that drawbridge once again. And they invite people in and they go out of their walls of protection and they become people who are empathic and giving once more. Actually, they return to their essence if they want to survive. Which is where we find our joy. Absolutely. Which is why we're doing this podcast. Because when we are able to return to our essence, that is where we find those antidotes to our suffering. Well, that is the antidote. Mm-hmm. to our ego suffering. Um, and we're not um, an unchecked little soul child anymore. We have grown to understand how to temper our appetites and our zeal. So now, for example, the eight, who used to be uh, a two who would overfeed the dog, would now, as an adult or a seasoned egoic eight, return to essence and be the best of the ego of the eight as well as the soul child or essence of the eight. Mm -hmm. A wonderful blend so that they can move through the world with the best of both of these parts. So not just a leader, but a servant leader. Yes, absolutely. Great. Well, that's a good good introduction to that, that eight. And so that leaves us with the... Type one. Type one. So normally... Uh, the ego type go, one gets to go first because they're yes. number one. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do that. Because we went by the centers of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And we began with the head center, which is six, seven, and five. So the type, the, when you work through the types on the Enneagram, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be chronologically from one to nine. It's easier for for beginners to begin that way. But we want to give these listeners a little bit of uh, depth in terms of that it is not just nine types in a row, that they, there are meaningful clusters of three, uh, and they have reason for hanging together. And so we are explaining those uh, in their natural clusters. Good. So tell us about the Enneagram One. Enneagram One says to the world, I'm right. You can't get me because I'm going to be righter than anyone. You can't put me down. You can't make me subservient. You can't castigate me. You can't limit me. Um, And of course, like the eight and the nine, underneath it is that anger of having any kind of limitation. And they use being right as a way to circumvent limitations. Rightness to them um, really um, uh, tops everything and gives them that edge that they need to not feel limited and therefore to not feel anger. Their avoidance is anger because being a proper and right person, you don't want to... um, Uh, feel anger, an inappropriate emotion of anger. After all, anger is one of the uh, deadly sins, is it not? I can't be 
sinful and mm-hmm. angry. That and, wouldn't be right. No, it wouldn't be right. So uh, they avoid one of their natural proclivities, which is anger. So it puts one in a very uh, precarious position. Whereas nines show anger passive aggressively. They let it leak out that way. And eights are uh, very uh, uh, obviously able to display rage and use that. And comfortable with it. And comfortable with it. And use that as one of their uh, intimidating mechanisms to get what they want and to lord over other people. Um, But the one is different. They have to lord over others with rightness and properness and with standards and um, that can be pretty oppressive in its own way uh, but in 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 the egoic life of a healthy one we definitely need just like we need peaceful people of nine and we need strength and powerful people to be leaders in eight we also need people to be strong leaders in terms of standards and propriety and to point the right way amidst the darkness and confusion that we find ourselves in uh, as individuals and in families and even as collectives. And so when how does their anger show up? The anger for the ones shows up in criticizing. Okay. And let me tell you, not only do they criticize others as the the, the the monitor in the room uh, and they're they're taking names and um, kicking derrieres <laughs> um, they uh, also tend to criticize themselves as much as they criticize others they don't let you know that they're self-critical because they don't want to tip their hand but everything they give out to others in terms of finger pointing and correcting them and slapping hands and redirecting people and even kind of making people feel embarrassed for some of their wrong choices. They're actually doing to themselves. So they have a strong inner critic. That's what it's called, absolutely. And so really that is key to understanding if you're an ego type one. Yes, overactive inner critic. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I've I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, I really don't do that. I'm not that. I'm not a critical person." You know, but they still might be the person that uh, points out the one thing that's out of place. Yes, the it, it may not be a mean criticism. No. It doesn't have to be that way. But their eye goes to the one thing in the room that's out of place. That's or, out of place, or that doesn't make sense, or that is out of context, or misplaced, or doesn't go. I enjoy, we have a a weekly uh, awakenings group that we meet in Birmingham, Alabama. It's always fun to watch the ones come in the room. Uh, We were in the basement of a local library uh, and the room is not beautiful. Um, In fact, there's, you know, some of the paint is chipping on the walls and um, maybe there was a birthday party in there before and there's some leftover cake smeared on the table and, and you can see their eyes go straight to those things in the room. And I know it drives them crazy. Yes, because it isn't right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so it doesn't have to be a mean criticism. Often their mm-hmm. eye just goes to that thing. And so if you're mm-hmm. an ego type one, mm-hmm. you might you that might uh, speak to you. And... Right, because you're presupposed um, for perfection. You're after perfection. Um, 
you're after the um, the 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 joy of living in a perfect world because that's how the one came to this planet as a joyful little person where everything was in its place and had a place and everything worked together in a in a wonderful harmony and there was uh, optimism but but that was shut down and now optimism has and that type of joy through that kind of perception has been placed with imposing order on the environment so one can feel relieved and then have their joy interesting so it's a distortion of joy and it's um it doesn't help the one uh unless they come to the breaking point and can return to their essence at type 7 the healthy 7 where joy and optimism and that harmony abounds and they can then fuse their uh, understanding of perfection and for ones who are healthy it's holy perfection which is not being fastidious it's being whole Uh, they join that with the optimism and harmony from their life in essence and it's an absolutely wonderful way of moving through the world healthily and and that is the antidote to their suffering because, yes. you know, as a one, there are so many imperfections. It's exhausting having to correct so many things. Absolutely. But when they return to their essence. When they return to their essence, they feel the joy so deeply that uh, the harmony in their life is is has been achieved and therefore the compulsion and the fixation on imposing order so that joy can be achieved and harmony can be achieved is no longer there. It's not there as it was. Right. They've got it. Mm-hmm. But it takes that trip to essence. to And for many it's through understanding their soul child that enables them to recapture the, their early life when they knew no way to live except in soul. There was no ego. When you were one, when you were six months old, when you were two, there were emerging egos, but there was no set ego. You were mostly living out of soul. That's all we had to be. So to return to that is essential. And to, through what we call in the uh, Institute for Conscious Being, holy alchemy, which is a fusion of the wisdom from what we've learned in our ego life with the inherent soul being knowledge. Those two things fused alchemically actually create a, a being that is not in the suffering that living in the ego alone brings us. Fantastic. Well, thank you today for yes. talking to us about right. this gut center, the body center. And I can't wait to get to the next podcast when we start talking about essence and about the soul child 
and about the qualities of each soul as we were born. That is tremendous information that we want to disseminate as much as we can to as many people as possible about the hidden treasures of this Enneagram. Right. Well, we ask our listeners to return to listen to the next podcast where we'll go more more deeply into the Enneagram. We'll begin to move past typology and some of the fundamentals, and we'll move into uh, exactly what you just said. Why so, do you think we want to move past typology? Well, being the best two that you can be, or the best eight, or the best nine, it, it eventually doesn't work. I mean, eventually that ego breaks down and we create our own suffering. And when we learn to move past typology, to go back to our essence, to learn where our true joy resides at the soul level, that is the antidote for suffering. No matter how great or how small that suffering is, that is the journey. So, Very good. Well, thank you for today, and we will look forward to our next podcast. Can't wait. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Check out our website at www.theicb.org. That's T-H-E-I-C-B dot O-R-G. If you have questions you would like to have answered on this podcast, just email us at the address on our website, theicb.org, under Contacts. And if you would like to attend one of the conferences or other events of the Institute for Conscious Being, you will find these presentations on our website under Events.